and amen. If you have your Bibles, will you turn with me to the Gospel of John, John chapter 1 this morning, for a text which is very powerful and we'll use as, a, as our text this morning to teach and to preach from. And as you do that, I want you to think about a tradition, a tradition that you perhaps enjoy uh, or can think of that happens here at Coventry Church of the Brethren. There are many. We just experienced one of those traditions. For a number of years, we have participated in this congregation by offering our worship of songs with musical instruments. Can any of you remember a time where you haven't accompanied it regularly with musical instrumentation? There was a time in the Church of the Brethren where all singing was done just by voice. The voice was the instrument, and that's what we did. And there are times where we practice that and try to do that. In some ways, I think we've lost the ability to sing in parts um, or to listen to others and join that together. How many of you enjoy the musical instruments that we have in our worship? All right. Here's another one that we practice. We just practiced this last week with two of our youth, with Ella and Madison. We baptize them in waters, but part of our tradition instructs us to do it in a certain way. That way is not falling backwards into death like the Baptists do, not going straight down into the waters as others, but forward three times. Why in the world do we do that? Well, some might say we go forward three times, baptizing in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Does, that, does those words suggest that that's the, the appropriate mode of baptism? Well, here's one. How many of you are baptized forward three times in the name of the Father, Son, Holy Spirit? Anyone baptized in a different mode? Some others were. Okay. Here's one that's a tradition that maybe you haven't thought about a whole lot, but you just practice. When we celebrate our agape meal during our love feast and communion, we sit at tables, right? And we put women on this side and men on this side. Not all people do that. Why do we do that? Well, that's what we do, right? And I say, well, where's the biblical foundation for that? Let's put the women here and the men here. So that's developed over some time, and that's just become part of our practice. The point is, we have traditions, right? We have traditions, and, and I'm telling you that not all traditions are wrong or bad. But this is what I do want to tell you, that any tradition or practice in our lives, whether it's in the church or in our home, that's not or that's, that's not uplifting or consistent with what's in God's Word is something that we should evaluate. This is what happened in the church nearly 500 years ago and starting a period of time called the, the Reformation. Martin Luther, he was being questioned by the authorities of the church based upon some of his teachings and some of his uh, protests. He stood before the council the authorities, and said, unless therefore I am convinced by the testimony of Scripture or by the clearest reasoning, unless I am persuaded by means of the passages I have quoted, and unless they thus render my conscience bound by the Word of God, 
I cannot and will not retract, for it is unsafe for a Christian to speak against his conscience. Here I stand, I can do no other. May God help me. Amen. That's what Martin Luther said. From this, the phrase sola scriptura, which means scripture alone, was developed. It suggests that the ultimate authority for us in the church is the scripture. It's to know God and to build faith in God through the Bible. This morning, we're going to dig into that principle around this concept in John 1 knowing who Jesus is, and encourage belief in Him as Christ, the Son of God, and argue that believing, we might have life in His name. John 1, 1 1-14. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him, all things were made. Through him, through Jesus, through the word. Without him, nothing was made that has been made. In him was life. And that life was the light of mankind. The light shines in the darkness, but the darkness has not understood it. There came a man who was sent from God. His name was John. He came as a witness to testify concerning that light so that through him all men or all mankind might believe. He himself was not the light. He came only as a witness to the light. The true light that gives light to every man was coming into the world. He was in the world, and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Yet to all who received him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Children born not of a natural descent, nor of human decision or a husband's will, but born of God. The Word became flesh and made His dwelling among us. We have seen His glory, the glory of the one and only who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. May God add His blessing to the reading of His Word. The sermon title is called Authority Issues. Now that might strike something up in your mind, right? There might be some parents that say, yeah, my kids have authority issues. They just won't listen. There might be something, some of you that are, that are in places of authority say, yeah, my employees don't listen. There may be some of you that say like, you know what? I don't like authority. The title, we'll see how God uses the title this morning, but more importantly, we'll see how God uses his word. The first point I want to make to you is that there is an ultimate authority John 1, 1 to 5 is clear about that. John describes the Word, the Word, the Logos. In John 1, 1, he uses different phrases to emphasize this. In the beginning was the Word. John starts his gospel the same way that the Bible is started. In the beginning, God created. In the beginning was the Word. He draws a parallel there to point back Jesus, back and making that connection. The word is was. 
He was the Word. Jesus is not created as some others might believe. He was with God in the beginning. Does Jesus testify to this in the New Testament? Sure. And he got flack from this. John 8, 58. Jesus was talking to to the Jews about saying, listen, it's not just about being connected to Abraham. Jesus says, before Abraham was, now he could have said a lot of things right here. He could have said, I was aware of what was going on. Before Abraham was, you know, I was, I, was, I was before that. I lived there. But he used this word. He says, before Abraham was, I am. That caused the Jews to want to kill Jesus. Because in that statement, he was claiming to be the eternal God. In Exodus 3.14, when Moses was saying to God, God says, there's no other gods but me. He says, Moses says, give me a name. And God said to Moses, I am who I am. Same thing that Jesus says. So when John says, in the beginning was the word, he's saying that Jesus is eternal. He's eternal. He's not created. He's not someone that, 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 that was created or shaped or, or reformed from something else, but he was eternal. In the beginning was the word. And he also says this, the word was with God. The Word, Jesus, was with God. So this leads to a plurality of thought, not multiple gods, because the Bible is clear, it's monotheistic, but a triune God is suggested. The, the, the doctrine of the Trinity, the word Trinity is not in Scripture wherever, but it was developed within the early church fathers that followed Jesus, believing that Jesus was God. And it says, are there clues in Scripture which point to this belief? Well, the very earliest one is in Genesis 1.26, where in the creative process, the Godhead says, let us, plural pronoun, let us make man in our image, not my image, our image, working together in our likeness. There's another indication in the New Testament where Jesus' baptism, the Father speaks, this is my Son in whom I'm well pleased, and then the image of the Holy Spirit descending upon him as in a dove. The Word was with God. So what do we have? We have Jesus is the second person of a triune God, Father, Son, Spirit. There's a lot in John 1, 1, right? Whole theological books are written upon this verse and this passage. And finally, John says, and the Word was God. The Logos, the one whom I'm identifying, the one who I'm going to write about in this book, this was God. John said in John chapter 20, my purpose of writing is so that you will believe. I'm going to tell you everything I've experienced and seen and been given to me through the Spirit to write down so that you will believe. He's very clear. Well, you might ask, does Jesus do anything then that that indicates that he is God? Well, John includes Jesus' statements, the I am statements. I am the bread of life. I am the gate through which people pass. I am. Before Abraham was, I am. Well, how else does Jesus act like deity, like he was God? 
Well, Jesus receives worship. When he calms the wind and the waves and he's in the boat, the disciples worshiped Jesus. And they say, all creation listens to him. Jesus also forgives sin. Who else can forgive sin but God alone? The word was God indicates that Jesus is God. Jesus is divine. Those are powerful statements pointing to an ultimate authority. The ultimate authority is God revealed to us in Jesus Christ. The passage continues, though. You say, well, if this is God, he is all-powerful. John then goes on and says, listen, his blessings and his touch is all around us. Todd revealed to some of it this morning. When you woke up and you see the glory of, the, of what's around you, you think, boy, God is incredible. Well, sure, because he's all-powerful. He's the ultimate authority. Through Jesus, all things were made. Without him, nothing was made that has been made. He's the creator. Colossians picks up on this. Paul says that also in Colossians 1.16. But he says, he's not just a creator, but he's the life giver. In him was life, and that life was the light of men. Are we alive spiritually? Yes, because we know Jesus Christ, who's the ultimate authority, who lives in us and gives us life, not just physical life. Yes, God creates and forms in a mother's womb, and, and, and the baby, Adeline Grace, comes into the world, and we say, thank you, God, for giving us this new child. But there's a point in life where we are reborn, born again, not because of our own desire, because of God working within us to baptize us into the body of Christ. He is the life giver. Amen? We sang that in our song today, and I thought I'd give you a chance to say amen. Let the amen sound from his people again. Amen? amen. That means I agree. If you feel so led, you can amen today. Jesus is the life giver and the life that gives light. In our Bible study on Wednesday night, our men's Bible study, we're, we're working through the book of Titus. Paul is instructing a young pastor, Titus, you've got to go into the church and you've got to watch out and you've got to clear out the bad elders, the bad leaders. You also have to watch out for false teaching. For teaching in the world which doesn't line up with the ultimate authority. And he gave us, he gives us some questions to ask. The first question is this, relating to this passage. He says, when you're faced with false teaching and things that just don't sound right, the first question you ask is, who do you say Jesus is? Who is Jesus to you? Who is Jesus to you? Is he only a prophet, a good teacher. He is Lord. He's more than that. This text describes him as the eternal God, with God in the beginning. And it's going to say more about him, the life giver. But looking to Scripture for the answer to that is our authority. And not just what I believe or what I think or what this is probably the way I should go with this because this is, this is safer for everyone else. That it's about our feelings and our desires. When we turn and look and say, my answers to these questions are based upon what's written in Scripture, then it doesn't just become my tradition or my wishes. Then it becomes we're resting solely in the power and the authority of Scripture. Jesus said to certain Jews who questioned his identity and his authority, he said this, if you believed Moses, 
right? Which the Jews did, right? We, we follow Moses. We believe Moses. Let's just rest in Moses' writings. Jesus says, if you believed Moses and what he wrote and what he said, then you would believe me, for he wrote about me. Isn't that amazing that the Old Testament points to Jesus Christ, the one who would come, the Messiah, the promised one. But let's not, let's not overlook Let's not overlook the struggle of those who had a hard time receiving Jesus as God-man, right? Because this is unique in history. This hasn't happened in any other person in history. And we would have the same struggle, believe me. We're told that Jesus was born of a young woman. Her name was Mary. We're even told that he was conceived out of wedlock. Hmm, can this be God? We're told that he was born in an obscure town called Nazareth. And we say, what good can come out of Nazareth? We're told that he had an earthly father named Joseph. They were poor. So Jesus, from their knowledge, was an unlikely, unlikely God-man. <laughs> no wonder this is why John writes, I write so that you can believe. If John could be among us today, he would tell us. He would say, I, John lived to old age, right? The writer of this. He's the only disciple that lived to this length. He says, and he lived so that God can continue the testimony of his glory to the next generation, to the early church fathers. He says, if, I was, if he was among us, he would say, listen, I and the others, we have seen his glory. The glory of the one and only. And I write so that you too may believe as I have. If we look into Scripture and Scripture alone, we see that Jesus is unique. He's the ultimate authority. So our application then is to trust. And trust, trust Him. With our lives, with our decisions, trust the ultimate authority. He knows what's going on, greater than we do. I encourage you to trust in Jesus Christ as the ultimate authority. But the text goes on, and it talks about, well, even if there is an authority, sometimes people miss it because they don't know who the authority is. John the Baptist was on the scene to identify the authority. I told the earlier service that one of my fears, and this is kind of how I got into road signs with the kids, one of my fears in going to a city like New York or Philadelphia is just navigating the city, not knowing where to go, right? Even, even uh, when we go into the subway and there are all kinds of signs there, just like, whoa, this is overkill for me. We've got all these different trains, red, yellow, blue, and the different schedules, and you got to jump on this one, this one to get to this point, and I'm like, oh, I don't think I can do it. Even if I have my GPS, right, it gets me to the kind of close spot, but it doesn't always tell me what streets are one way. It doesn't tell me where the parking garages are necessarily. And even if it gets me close, I'm like, I wish I had, I wish I had an authority. I wish I could identify someone that I could either take with me or go and ask and say, will you just tell me how I can get from here to there? And that authority spoke in a language 
that was mine, and I understood it, and it was clear, and they were a good communicator. I just wish I had an authority which would help me. Have you ever been there? In some way or another? I feel when I, when I travel into unknown places, hmm, I need some good sign. Even great signage can be helpful, but the best thing is to have that communicator to help me alleviate my fears and diminish my uncertainties. John was that. He was giving the task, the calling, to help travelers on the journey of life realize that Jesus was the authority they were looking for and they needed. So John spoke up amidst the noise of life, amidst the, the moving of trains in and out of people's lives, people studying maps or listening to GPS, reading schedules. He shouted, if you're looking for the train which leads to salvation. It's the J train. It's the Jesus train. I'm here to call you to watch out for it. It's about to come. Get ready. John the Baptist pointed to Jesus as the identified authority. John says, The true light that gives light to every man was coming into the world. And then one day he said, here's the train. Some that have visited our congregation have a hard time finding restrooms or the nursery or the junior high youth room. Well, that's possible because of the layout of our structure. Do all of you know where the restrooms are? <laughs> okay, good. Some of you may not. There's some right back here if you need them uh, through this whole the hallway. The point is this. Having multiple buildings with rooms that are sometimes multitasked makes direction giving a challenge. Several of us in the congregation met with an outsider this week to gain a perspective on what would a guest or a visitor struggle with in navigating our building. And we did that with the purpose of putting up some good signage to help us navigate the system. Our goal is to provide helpful hints and clear identification throughout the buildings to minimize confusion and to help people get where they want to get. Isn't that a good thing to do to our guests? All right? It makes sense, right? <laughs> Think about it from an outside position. This is not an easy building to navigate. The best navigation assistance... The best authority is, however, no matter what signs we put up, is a friendly person who has been here that can say, I'll show you where that is. I'll take you. I'll lead you to that. I'll be the authority. One of John the Baptist's most powerful acts of identifying Jesus as the ultimate authority happened when John was going about his normal routine. He was baptizing people in water. He was saying, repent for the kingdom of God is here. Right? He was doing this, fulfilling the prophetic nature of his calling. And then one day, he saw Jesus come before him and he said, Look, there he is. John was being the sign. He says, Look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Identifying Jesus as the life giver, the Lamb of God, who is capable of taking away your sin, it's a great way to love the world. Sometimes, I wonder, how will I share Jesus' love with the community and people? 
And oftentimes, God just simplifies it for me. He says, just tell them that God loves them so much, He sent Jesus to die for your sins. And you can be right with God through this relationship. That really narrows it down, right? That's really simple. That's really the simple message of the gospel. But it's a great way to love the world. Jesus, the ultimate authority, he has given us a commission that follow him. Do you know what that is? It's to go and make disciples of all nations. So I'm asking you, do you have any issues, authority issues with that command today? Do you have issues going and making disciples of all nations? You're thinking, what do you mean, Pastor Mark? No, I completely agree with that commission. It's a great commission. I'm in it wholeheartedly. Well, are we? Are we doing that in our individual lives? And are we doing it corporately? Being people that follow him requires us to prioritize our lives into this mission. Well, there are times when I don't like being told what to do. Anybody like me? You should probably all raise your hands, right? Depends on who's asking and what they're asking you to do, right? Sometimes we have authority issues. Sometimes, even though we want to, we can have a difficult time finding the path that Jesus walks on ahead of us or calls us to. That's what I talked about with the kids with the signs. So if we wanted to say, I want to follow you, Jesus, how do I know which way to go? I want to get to that place in Manhattan. I just don't know how to get there. I have a heart that's willing and a mind that says, I'll go. Just help me find the way. Well, the Bible is our signage for following Jesus. Instead of looking for the room where the junior high youth meet, we're asking, how do we share Jesus' love in our neighborhood and around the world? How do I handle the, the simple actions in my life? How do we best share the good news of Jesus? And what can we do to help those who are really struggling so that we can attach them to the ultimate authority? How do I live a life of radical discipleship to the ultimate authority who laid down his life that I might have life? And give, he gave me the right to become a child of God. See, sometimes when we look for those answers, it's not as easy as identifying the junior high youth room. Oh, that's in room B25. There you go. Answer, done. Sometimes we have to wrestle and search and work together with trusted believers and then go and try and step out in faith before it's revealed to us that this is, in fact, the right path for us. Our directions for finding life, living in light, and carrying it into darkness are found in the Word of God. And our response when we navigate and go on this path will be the same as what we talked about last week with Peter and John, who were asked, by what authority do you do these things? And whose name are you calling upon? And we'll say, it's in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth that this can happen through us pointing glory back to God. So I want to encourage you. I want you to be a road sign. Okay? And maybe it's not one that says, do not enter. 
uh, or stay away, toxic material. But a road sign that says, I know the way. There's one way. There's one way. It's through Jesus. But also be familiar with your traveling instructions that are in the Word so that we can reflect the path of Jesus. So we have an ultimate authority, and we know that Jesus and His Word is the identified authority. The last point that this text suggests for us in verses 10 to 14 is that we have an approachable authority. The Word became flesh and made His dwelling among us. We have seen His glory, the glory of the one and only who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. Eyewitness testimony. So if you wanted to contact someone that was very powerful, significant, and let's say it's the President of the United States, you wanted to have a, a, a one-on-one conversation, so you started to call the number, right? How successful do you think you'd be? How can I do this? Well, you might think, you know what, I know some people in politics, and I might be able to see whenever this, you know, event's going on over here, I might be able to get up pretty close to the front and, and still get this conversation, right? And he might be thinking that, but is there a general principle saying that the more the more power, the more authority some people have in this temporary world, the harder it is for us to interact with them. I'll tell you a story which relates to that. I played college basketball with a young man from New Jersey named Frank Vogel. Do any of you know Frank Vogel, who that is? Oh, good. The story will be good for you then. (laughs) Matthew does, because I told the story several times. Frank Vogel came to Juniata on a recruiting visit during his senior year of high school. And I was a year ahead of him, so I was a freshman there. And they, what they do is they pair you, them up with someone that's already on the team. And they say, take care of Frank this weekend, all right? We want him to, to see the campus and enjoy and meet people and get to the meals and do all this. So, so I traveled around with Frank Vogel and we, we made it through the weekend and we thought we had a good time. And, and then it was confirmed by saying Frank then chose Juniata to come and play. So we were, we were teammates. My sophomore year playing on a team, and Frank was on a team. Frank was a great ball handler. As a, even a young child, he was able to take a basketball and do all kind of crazy tricks with it. He, even, he was even on a Dave Letterman show because he could put a toothbrush in his mouth, spin the ball, and put it on the toothbrush and keep it going. So he was doing all these crazy tricks. Frank was an okay basketball player, but he was really good at doing these tricks. Frank, if you're watching... Um, sorry about that basketball comment. I don't know that he's watching. But I left Juniata after my sophomore year. And later I realized and learned that Frank did the same. He left Juniata in his playing time there to pursue coaching. He left and he ended up at, at Kentucky coaching under someone named Rick Patino, who's in the news lately. He ended up getting involved then with... Uh, professional basketball in the National Basketball Association, and he progressed up through the ladder. And it was a surprise to me that I learned from my college coach during a visit uh, or a reunion, whatever it was, that Frank Vogel was just named the head coach of the Indiana Pacers. That was a number of years ago, but I was like, no way, Frankie V. So when we moved here a few years ago and began ministry, we got more interested in the sports of Philadelphia and the Philadelphia Sixers, and, and I learned, hey, the Indiana Pacers are playing Philadelphia next month. What if 
I could make contact with Frankie V. And we could get down, Matt and I could get down and maybe get in the locker room, see the players, maybe get out on the floor before the game, shoot a few hoops, you know? So I said, I'm going to call upon this relationship that was forged on the hardwood courts of Juniata many years ago. So I got on the phone and I called a number that I could find. I couldn't get a hold of Frank through the phone. So I tried to email. I tried to find an appropriate email address or two. And I said, Frank, this is Mark. I'm living outside of Philadelphia. I'd love to come see you. You're going to be in Philadelphia next month. Can we arrange to meet at the game? I even went to Facebook (laughs) with some messages out to Frank. All of my attempts to reach into his life now, because he was in his position, were met with dead ends. We still went to the game. But the closest we got to Frank Vogel was from the nosebleed seats. Looking down, I say, I know that guy down there. I was calling out, Frank! Didn't get any closer. I tell you that story to tell you this. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. He came to us and that we have an awesome God who is approachable. C.S. Lewis wrote, in the Christian story, God descends to reascend. He comes down, down to the very roots and seabed of the nature he has created. But he goes down to come up again and bring the whole ruined world with him. Some living at Jesus' time were confused that the ultimate authority would sit at a table with sinners, eating and drinking with the rejected. This could never be the Messiah. For those who were looking the hardest for the promised one, the descendant of David that would restore God's people to glory, they rejected the one claiming to be God's one and only son as they saw him shredded by the whip of the Roman soldiers, pierced with a crown of thorns and spikes which held him to the cross. John says, he came to that which was his own. He came. But his own did not receive him. They observed the salvation train come to their town, but many did not get on the train. Jesus was and is approachable. Amen? Amen. He walked with the broken, the outcast, the thief, the lonely, the sick, and he pointed them to life. Do you have an authority issue? where you're turning to the wrong authority for life and light. Jesus says, come to me. All you are weary, all who are burdened, and I will give you rest. C.S. Lewis said, how thankful I am that when God became a man, he did not choose to become a man made of iron nerves that would not have helped weaklings like you and me nearly so much. I'm not sure where you are today in relation to 
this text. But I pray that the words of Scripture would encourage you to know that there's an ultimate authority that we can go to. One who is greater than sin. One who created the universe that we live in and created us. We can go to him, the ultimate authority. In fact, he's even greater than death itself. I pray that we don't have issues of authority where we wonder, is Jesus the way? Is he just one of many? John clearly says, this is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Let's not be clear or ambiguous about who we identify as the authority. It's Jesus Christ. Let's not be ashamed to say his name or speak his name or to live out his name. And in good times, let's approach this authority and say, God, thank you. I want to celebrate with you. In times of brokenness and hardship, we still go to Jesus and say, Lord, lift me. Help me. I need you. I can't do it on my own. And we say, have your own way, Lord. Have your own way. Let's pray together. Oh God, we thank you. And we believe this morning that Jesus is the word, the eternal God, who was with you in the beginning, Father, and who took on flesh to reveal the glory of your nature, of your love, of your power. We're told that Jesus was full of grace and truth. Thank you for your amazing grace, which gives us love that we don't deserve, which gives us forgiveness, which brings us new life and calls us into your truth, into light, Lord. And there are times, Father, where we may struggle with authority. But we want to be like Jesus was to you, Father, and submit and submit and learn that it's a beautiful thing. Thank you for my brothers and sisters, Lord. Thank you for this chance to approach you, a holy God, and that you are always available for us. For you said, never will I leave you, never will I forsake you. So we give you praise, and we give you honor, and we give you glory. Through Jesus' matchless name, amen and amen.